welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly, as though you were working for your real master, and not merely for humans. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, God's Word Translation Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We're very grateful that you are able to be with us as we continue a series we began a few weeks ago on Anchored by Truth. We've entitled the series, Why Am I Here? With all the uncertainty and chaos that surrounds us today, there's probably never been a more important time to be sure that we have a firm grasp on our role and purpose in the world. To help us continue to see what the Bible has to say about this very important topic, we have R.D. Fierro back in the studio. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., you've entitled this series, Why Am I Here? Most people have probably asked this question at one time or another to themselves, but many have probably never received a satisfactory answer. Is it really possible for us to know why we were created? The short answer is definitely yes. It is definitely possible for us to know why we were created. But a key part of knowing why we are here, what our purpose is in this life, is to understand that we were created. We've talked about that in a couple of these episodes. People who understand that they were created by a loving, omnipotent, and purposeful creator may legitimately ask the question, why did that creator put me here? But anyone who rejects God as the creator automatically starts out in a very bad place. The alternative to a God who established creation and who superintends creation's affairs is that the universe is either an undirected, unsupervised, eternal amalgamation of matter and energy, and if the universe is that, well, there's no reason for anyone to ask about purpose because an undirected, unsupervised amalgamation of matter and energy, no matter how big it is, cannot impart purpose to any part of that amalgamation, or someone might take a deistic viewpoint of that universe, that there is a God who did create everything, who essentially set everything into motion, but once that God set everything in motion, that God absconded, God took off, and that God didn't and doesn't take any further interest in that creation. So, in that case, there's a God who, even if you ask the question of him, wouldn't be around to answer it. That kind of a God, that deistic God, might be very powerful, but that God would take no notice of and take no care of any of the affairs of its creation. In other words, for the question, why am I here, to have any real meaning, we must first embrace the fact that we live in created order that was established by a God who is not only able to create, but is also interested in the ongoing operation of his creation. That is exactly the kind of God that the Bible tells us about. 
That's why we've been so careful during this series to always reiterate three fundamental points about our search for meaning in our lives. First, we must acknowledge the reality that we live in a universe that was created by an intelligent, purposeful, and moral being. Second, the created order suffered a dramatic change when some of the creatures within the universe misused their free will and chose to rebel against their creator. Therefore, we now live in a fallen creation. And third, we live in a somewhat unique historical period because we live in between the first and second comings of the Lord of creation, Christ Jesus. Right. As we contemplate the question of why we are here, we are inevitably searching for a meaning to our lives. And that's not only a natural question, but I believe it reflects a part of God's intentional design for the only earthly creature that the Bible describes as having been made in God's own image. You know, part of the way that we bear God's image is by possessing certain attributes that God communicated to us. God is purposive. We have a desire, well, most of us do anyway, to live purposeful lives. But how can we do that if we don't know what purpose we are designed to fulfill? We can't live a purposeful life if we don't believe that there is a God of purpose who gave us life, and we can't live a purposeful life if we don't know that it is possible for us to find out our purpose. So that question, why am I here, I think that that is part of God's design to make us turn to Him, to ask Him questions, to seek Him out, and to try to find out what His will is for our lives. You know, as people sometimes put it, if something is broken, well, the best place to turn to fix it is the designer and the builder. And we are all broken to some extent. That's the bad news. The good news is that we don't have to stay that way. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, quote, I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly, unquote. That's from the Berean Literal Bible. The they Jesus came to give life to is us. And he doesn't want us to just have life, but to have it abundantly. The New Living Translation puts it this way, quote, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, unquote. Exactly. Jesus wants us to have rich and satisfying lives. Now, certainly one aspect of having a satisfying life is to know that we are fulfilling God's purpose for our life. But we can't know what that purpose is if we don't acknowledge the reality that confronts all of us as we make our way through this world. We must acknowledge that God is our creator to even begin a meaningful search. We must acknowledge that we live in a creation marred by sin to know that we need help to deal with the effects of sin. And we must understand that once sin entered the created order, God began a plan of redemption that included His Son coming to earth twice. The first time God's Son, Jesus, came to act as the Messiah who would take sin's consequences onto Himself. He came as the Lamb to be slain. The second time Jesus comes will be as a conquering lion. He will end the redemptive phase of history and begin the eternity where people will receive the rewards or punishments they've earned while on this earth. Right. To have a complete understanding of that reality, we must come to a place where we are very familiar with the content of the Bible. 
The Bible is the only book that gives us a complete revelation of God's character, of God's creative activity, and of God's plan for redemption. And these are the points that we covered in our first couple of episodes in this series. And in our second episode in this Why Am I Here series, we also noted that once we understand these basics, we could start to take a close look at what the Bible has to say about why we are individually here. And one of the first things that we noticed when we did that was that the Bible tells us that one of the reasons God has put us on this earth is to develop godly characters, holy characters, if you will. And developing a holy character, that's a very important part of us being God's image bearers. We should reflect God's holy character in our own lives because we bear God's image. And we noted that the Bible's very clear about God's desire for us to develop holy characters. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2 says, quote, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy, unquote. And that's from the God's Word translation. Exactly. So, to be more explicit, when it comes to discovering what the Bible has to say about why we are here, we should definitely become aware of three distinct areas of our lives, our character, our career, and our calling. Well, to use an old philosophical adage, those areas might be distinguished, but they cannot be separated. Our character is certainly going to influence our careers and callings. Similarly, what we choose for a career is certainly going to influence how our character develops. Without wanting to be too negative, There are some career choices that would do nothing beneficial for our characters, but we're not going to name them because those kinds of influences get enough play in the media and on the internet as it is. And that's a very important note, but it is helpful at least to think about the distinction between those parts of our lives because it helps us to understand what choices are open to us and how those choices affect our purpose in this life. And maybe that's something we need to say explicitly also. Sometimes when people ask the question, why am I here? They're just looking for someone, a parent, a friend, maybe even an angel or God, to give them an answer. But those people may not realize that their own life choices affect their purpose in life. In other words, the search for a purpose to our lives is not just a one-time, one-way kind of business where we ask the question and someone else answers it, and then that's the end of it for the rest of our lives. What you're saying is that there are certain parts of the answer to the question, why am I here, that are common to all of us. We can say with confidence that we're all here because God made us in His image, has a plan and purpose for our lives, and wants us to develop holy characters. But as our lives move along, our choices at one point are going to influence our purpose for the rest of our lives. Sometimes those choices will be positive ones. Someone who chooses to go to medical school and become a doctor will have a wide variety of career choices that will not be open to other people. But sadly, all too often those choices may be negative ones. I know of a young woman who made the choice to drive drunk after getting two previous DUIs. But on this occasion, she drove drunk and ran into another car, injuring a mother and killing a child. That choice, obviously, will affect her for the rest of her life. Now, part of her purpose is going to have to be to successfully complete a long prison sentence and then to begin to rebuild her life. That purpose would have been completely unnecessary if she had made a different choice. 
Yes. For most people, a search for the answer to the question, why am I here, is likely going to be one that's going to recur in their lives a number of times. You know, when we are young, we may strongly believe that we were put on this earth to follow a particular career path. And regardless of whether or not that choice for that career path pans out, it's not uncommon, even if our career choice has been good and everything goes the way we want, it's not uncommon for us to discover that there are other reasons that we are here as we pass through our adult lives. And that's maybe one good reason that it's a good idea to distinguish between our careers and what I'm labeling as our callings. Our careers and our callings may be very closely linked, or frankly, they may have very little to do with one another. Why don't you give us an example of what you're thinking about? Well, let's return to your earlier comment about choices. Let's say there's a young man or a woman who decides to attend medical school And let's say they complete it and become a doctor. Well, that choice in their life to become a doctor will most likely mean that they will find their career somewhere in medicine. But finding their career in medicine may or may not be where they find their calling. Right now, I'm thinking of our good friend, Dr. Greg Alexander, who's been a frequent guest on Anchored by Truth. Dr. Alexander spent over 40 years practicing medicine. He was very successful. He set up the emergency room at one of our local hospitals, and later he became a very successful orthopedic surgeon. Dr. Alexander was a very good doctor, but Dr. Alexander has also taught an adult Sunday school class for over 25 years, and he is a very gifted student of the Bible and class leader. So at least part of Dr. Alexander's calling was to help other people know the Bible better and to develop spiritually. Now, that's a calling he could have pursued if he had chosen a different profession, but I think Dr. Alexander would tell you that his skills as a teacher were influenced by the practice of his profession in medicine. That's a good example of how careers and callings may be distinguished but cannot be separated. I know of an attorney who is very successful as a trial attorney but who has been on numerous medical missions to some very remote places. He may not practice medicine on those missions, but the support he provides to his medical team members is invaluable. And this observation about careers and callings is by no means limited to doctors and attorneys. There are countless plumbers leading youth groups, mechanics serving as church elders, and salespeople teaching religious education classes. And we need to be clear that even though the examples we've given have been primarily about church or religious activities, they don't have to be. Our calling can be about helping and assisting other people, even if it's not specifically within a religious or a church setting. People who work with the homeless, the hurting and the hungry, they're not always going to be doing that within a church or a parachurch ministry, and that's okay. They don't have to do it within a parachurch ministry or a specific church outreach. They don't have to do it there in order to please God. In his epistle to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul said, quoting now, Whenever we have the opportunity, we have to do what is good for everyone, especially for the family of believers. That comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, and that's the God's Word translation. Now, notice Paul tells us to do what is good for everyone, and that means people both inside the church and outside. Now, when Paul emphasizes that we should do good especially for believers, that's just by way of emphasis. 
that Paul wants to be assured that we know that if we're going to be doing good for everyone, we certainly should be doing good for those in the church. So, some important points that we've been going over. First, as we think about why we are here, what our main purpose in this life is, there are biblical instructions that apply to all people all the time. We are all directed to develop holy characters. And we can add to that observation that we are all directed to develop other spiritual attributes as well. Let's go back to the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul says, But the spiritual nature produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those attributes are sometimes referred to as the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we should all strive as a part of developing a holy character that is pleasing to God. We should all strive to allow the Holy Spirit to work within us to develop those attributes, to develop love, peace, patience, kindness, etc., Those are all part of the character that we should develop. So part of why we are here is to develop holy characters. And a holy character isn't just defined as someone who thinks of themselves as being pious or spiritual. That's certainly a part of being holy, but someone who thinks of themselves is as likely to be sanctimonious as they are truly spiritual. Holy people do their best to avoid sin, but they don't stop there. They cultivate attributes that make them blessings to their fellow believers and to the world in general, like being patient, kind, and loving. We are all directed to develop holy characters. That's a general instruction for all people for all times. But as we probe our individual answers to the unique purposes of our individual lives, we run into the questions of careers and callings. Right. And in our last episode on Anchored by Truth, we spent some time on the question of careers, in essence, the question of work and vocations. And we saw by looking at the Bible that there are a wide variety of careers that people can choose and still be effective servants of the Lord. You know, sometimes people might think that they have to choose to work in a ministry or in a religious vocation for God to use them. But that's not true at all. There's a gentleman named Robert Latorno. His name is very well known in the construction field because even though Robert Latorno dropped out of school in the seventh grade, he held himself over 300 patents in the field of earth moving. Latorno's sister had challenged him at a very early age to get serious about serving God. Well, Latorno initially thought that meant that he should become a preacher or a missionary. But after praying with his pastor about it, the pastor told Letourneau, well, God needs businessmen too. So Letourneau became what he called himself God's business partner. And Letourneau was a very successful business partner for God, wasn't he? Letourneau eventually gave away 90% of what he earned to charitable projects all over the world. He once said, quote, I shovel money out and God shovels it back but God has a bigger shovel, unquote. Latorno is just one example of someone who fulfilled a calling to serve God through amazing giving, even though his career was designing and building earth-moving equipment. Right. Latorno's career and his calling could be distinguished, but they were never separated. And we see that same kind of example in the Bible repeatedly from all up and down the economic and social spectrum that the Bible shows us. The prophet Amos, he was called to be a prophet, but for his occupation, his career, he was a shepherd. 
and he was a tender of sycamore figs. Well, those were very humble occupations in Amos's day. By contrast, Nehemiah, whose name is on the book, was called to supervise the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. But before Nehemiah was called to do that, he was the cupbearer to the Persian emperor. Now, the Persian Empire was the most prominent empire on the earth at the time, and being the cupbearer to the Persian emperor, well, that was a very exalted position. So the Bible gives us examples of people from, if you will, high or low, who were all called to do and to perform a service for God, whether or not that calling that they received had to do specifically with their original career, their original work or occupation. Moses started out living in the palace of the most powerful ruler of his time, the Egyptian Pharaoh. But Moses had to leave that palace, and at the time he was called to be Israel's deliverer, he had been a shepherd on the backside of the desert for four decades. Then he went from being a shepherd to leading a nation of over two million people for the next 40 years. So, Moses' case was high to low to high. Talk about someone who had his ups and downs. Yes. You know, during his ministry, Jesus commended the faith of Roman soldiers, tax collectors, fishermen, and housewives. So, one thing that is very clear by looking at Scripture is that God can choose people from just about any career field to serve Him and His kingdom. And God may choose to leave us in our career field as we fulfill our calling, as God did with Robert Latorno, or God may call us to change our career as he did with Peter, James, and John, who started out as fishermen before they became disciples. Well, how do we know what God is calling us to do, either in our careers or in our kingdom calling? I suppose one thing we might want to examine is the timing of when that may happen. A quick glance at scripture will tell you that we may be in a career for years before we receive a call from God to begin to serve him in a particular area. Well, Moses is a great example of the time that can elapse in someone's life between them choosing their work and their ultimate calling. It's often said that Moses spent 40 years in the house of Pharaoh, 40 years on the backside of the desert, and 40 years leading the children of Israel to the promised land. I've heard it phrased, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. 40 years finding out he was nobody, and 40 years finding out what God can do with a nobody. And I've always loved that characterization of the life of Moses. And Moses was obviously a case where he received his call from God in a very dramatic fashion, although Moses' choice to become a shepherd was far more mundane. Moses became a shepherd because after he fled Egypt, he didn't really have anywhere to go. But through God's providence, he wound up living with a family of nomadic shepherds. So Moses became a shepherd out of simple necessity. And simple necessity is still a way many of us wind up performing the work we do. And that's just fine. We don't need to have every direction we take in life marked out by fire and flame. In fact, at our age, we are often grateful when we receive direction in simple and ordinary ways. Exactly. When it comes to receiving the direction for our career or our calling, some people might be waiting, or even hoping, for a voice to speak to them out of the darkness, or for a flashing sign in the heavens that gives them a clear answer. Sometimes even mature believers may be hoping that God will send them a vision, or appear to them in a dream sometime. Well, we certainly believe that God can communicate to His people in any manner God chooses, 
But the truth is that God usually provides us the direction for our lives in more mundane ways. With Latorno, he received important guidance after a conversation with his pastor, and that's usually not a bad place to start. But we can also usually get pretty good guidance from any mature Christian, especially if that mature Christian has a life that reflects a deep dependence on God and a true reverence for God's Word, the Bible. It has been said that God will give us guidance for our lives in four different ways. The primary way God gives us guidance is through His Word in the Bible. The second way is through the counsel of mature believers. We've already alluded to those. But a third way that God gives us direction is through what the old-timers termed providential circumstances. Sometimes we want to go to a particular school, but we don't get accepted, at least not at first. That tells us, for the time being, we need to make a different choice. We may be hoping for a particular job, but it's not offered. Or we may have been thinking about one job, and another one opens up unexpectedly. God routinely opens and closes doors in our lives. That's a third way God tells us which way He wants us to go. And the fourth way is what may be termed direct revelation. It's not necessarily that God speaks audibly or through a vision, but God may often give us strong impressions or leadings about things that we're supposed to do. Sometimes God will call our attention to things that we had overlooked before. Or God may cause us to see something in Scripture that we hadn't previously noticed. But I think it's important to note that there is no reason for God to use the fourth way to speak to us, the way of direct revelation, if we have not diligently pursued the first three ways. God will speak to us, but for instance, God is not likely to give us a job for which we have failed to submit an application. As I like to say, God expects us to do our own homework. God is not interested and will not reward passivity or laziness when we need to be in motion. In Luke chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, Jesus told Simon Peter, Take the boat into the deep water and lower your nets to catch some fish. Simon answered, Teacher, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll lower the nets. After Simon Peter did as Jesus commanded, they caught so many fish their nets were breaking. Jesus didn't tell Simon Peter to row out to deep water and the fish would jump into the boat. So before we close for today, let's take a look at where we are overall in answering our question, why am I here? When we ask the question, why am I here, we're doing it either because we want to be assured that our lives have meaning or we are genuinely trying to figure out God's will for our lives. Now, to be assured that our lives have meaning, We just have to remember that we have all been created by an almighty God in His image. We have inherent worth and dignity because God is the ultimate font of worthiness and dignity. This sounds like a great time for a prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer of adoration for the Father. A prayer of adoration of the Father. Almighty, gracious, and heavenly Father, we praise you and adore you and bow down before you. We are overcome by thoughts of your majesty and excellence, and we humbly come to you to worship you in spirit and in truth. We know from your word that you are a God in whom there is no imperfection, want, or lack. You are perfect in all of your attributes and all of your ways. 
because you are the source of all light and illumination, there is no shadow or dark place in you. All creation stands in silent awe when it turns toward you. You dwell in the loftiest of the high places, surrounded by the angels that you created to serve you. Glory is your robe, power is your mantle, exaltation your drape, and sovereignty your cloak. Mere words could never describe your grandeur, yet we are exalted as we try. You alone are God. There is no other God like you. There never has been and there never will be. There will come a time when you will fully exercise your dominion as is fitting and right, and you will set right all that does not conform to your will. We look toward that day when we can stand breathless and amazed at your beauty and holiness. Until that time, let us grow in the knowledge and appreciation of your unmatched glory and let all honor, praise, and worship be given only to you. In Christ's name, let all who know him praise the Lord. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where... We're not perfect, but our boss is.